You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 948 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Saturday evening. After the Hawks got another victory tonight by a final score of 121 to 106, their fourth consecutive win and the first time in a long time since the Hawks won four games in a row. In fact, it was April of 2017. Now that is four years almost, and that's a long, long time. On the flip side, the Hawks were pretty bad for three for three seasons, so it's not that surprising. But still, four games in a row is four games in a row in the win column and a very positive evening as a result of that. Um, of course, pregame stuff, you know, the Hawks were favored in this game by our good friends at Benalanda AG for, by about three and a half to four and a half points, depending on when you looked throughout the day. So they were expected to win against Sacramento, and Sacramento is the worst defensive team in the league, which definitely will come up later on in the podcast. At the same time, the Hawks dug a hole in the first quarter. That's been a little bit of a trend is that the Hawks have had some really bad stretches. Even during this win streak, they've had a bad stretch in all of these games. And tonight it was coming out of, coming out of the gate, actually. Um, and from that point forward, they're pretty much dominant on the way to the win. So we'll touch on everything as we always do on the podcast from start to finish. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening to the show. We'll dive in now at the top. As I said... Um, the start was not very good. It was 11-4 out of the gate by, by the Kings. They scored on five of the first six possessions. Um, a timeout quickly from Nate McMillan. Um, other than the off, other than Nick Click Capella getting some dunks in the early going, in fact, Capella actually had four dunks in the first six minutes of this game. Um, and eight of the first ten points were on his dunks. Um, but other than that, there was not a lot going on in the positive realm. And defensively, the Hawks were not great in this game overall. Um, but they were pretty solid after the outset, but they allowed 24 points in the first seven minutes or so. The Kings were scoring almost two points per possession. It's about 1.79 or so. <laughs> that is very, very bad, of course. And really, the Hawks did pretty much earn that defensive mess at the top. There was not a lot of energy coming out of the gate defensively um, in, on this night, and Sacramento was pretty good on offense. They were, t- they were like a top 10 or 12 offense in the league, so you have to play pretty well to stop them, and that did not happen out of the gate. So that was a little bit concerning. Even guys like Capella, who was good in this game overall, came out and was a little bit shaky uh, at the start. But um, from there, it sort of stiffened up, obviously, for the Hawks. There was an 8-2 to run by Atlanta with four each from John Collins and Trey Young to get back within eight at one point. The Hawks still lost the first quarter by 11 points, but there were some pretty good moments near the end of the period, despite the fact that they were below average on both sides of the floor in that first quarter, and that sort of set the tone for the second quarter. So the second quarter was much better, as you probably, if you saw this game, you would definitely nod ahead with that, but it was a 39-18 to quarter, and most of that was due to a run at the start of the period. So they played with the full bench unit at the outset of the second quarter, and then quickly went, to, went back to Capella in place of a Kongwu. So it was basically Capella and the bench, uh, but shout out to Rondo, who I think you know I've been pretty critical of, and he's been pretty bad this season. He was very, very, very good in his first stint in this game. It was not just him, but uh, he had a couple of nice finishes at the rim. He drew a charge. He had a nice hit-ahead pass, and then a driving dish to Capella. He was a big part of an 11-0 run to open the first, sorry, the second, the second quarter, including the fact that he had, he, had the, he had a three at the end of that run. So it was 11-0. That tied the game after being down by 11, and that all happened with De'Aaron Fox on the bench. 
And it was not a coincidence. Fox is, of course, their best player for the Kings. And also, it happened with Marvin Bagley playing center. And uh, just as, as a sidebar of someone who watches the NBA, Marvin Bagley is not a defensive center. That just is never going to work. And the Kings are really bad defensively normally. And then you throw Bagley at center and without Fox, and it becomes pretty dire. But alas, um, after a timeout, the Kings did finally score, but then it didn't stop there for the Hawks. Rondo hits another three, then a ball by Capella, a tip in by Capella, and then another stop and another layup by Capella, who was uh, very active around the rim in this game. It was an 18-2 run at that point for Atlanta to take the lead after they had trailed for the entirety of the game at that point. And Capella actually got gassed. He was pretty tired after all the activity that he had. At that point, he had 16 points on nine shooting possessions, which is very, very impressive. And then they brought in Snell, Herter, and Collins again, and didn't even slow down from there. In fact, Herter hit back-to-back threes, um, and it was a 24-2 overall run by the Hawks. So they got down 24-10 at the outside of the first quarter, and then the second quarter it was 24-2 in favor of Atlanta. And at that, at that point, they led the rest of the way. Um, I will point out that defensively, the Hawks did a very good job playing a zone for part of that run with Gallinari on the floor, and it seemed like the Kings were legitimately vexed by it, which is not necessarily the greatest uh, indictment of them, I suppose. But, um, you know, the Hawks played very well defensively in that run as, as well. It wasn't just the offense, although the offense was definitely better on this side than the defense was, but uh, it was sort of a team effort on that particular spurt. And the Hawks scored 30 points in the first eight minutes of the second quarter to kind of blow things open. The Kings did kind of rally, cutting the lead back down to, to as few as five in the second quarter, but it got back up to ten at the buzzer. Uh, Danilo Gallinari hit a three that was uh, sort of a weird review that happened there, um, but uh, it ended up holding. It was called a it was called a make on the floor. I'm not sure honestly what I would have done, but they didn't overturn it, and the Hawks are up by ten at the half as a result. Kind of bizarrely, Atlanta didn't shoot all that well from three in the first half. But they shot 62% from two-point range, which is impressive, of course. And then and then, and then 10 of 10 at the free-throw line. Capella had 18 at the half. Trae Young had eight assists. They scored very, very well. The Kings were 7 of 22 from the floor with seven turnovers in the second quarter. That is uh, very, very bad, of course. And the Hawks took full advantage. They actually had 18 points directly off turnovers in the first half, which is a lot. Um, and the Hawks, this is a theme throughout the game that we'll, that we'll come back to. The Hawks managed to lead comfortably at the half despite getting annihilated on the glass. And the Hawks are usually pretty good defensively uh, on the glass. In this game, Sacramento really really beat them up around the rim um, in the rebounding battle. It just didn't matter because the Hawks were so much better than everything else in this game. But we'll come back to that in a moment. But still, you know, up 10 in a good in a good spot. I will say this, probably speaking <laughs> about the second half, it was pretty much smooth sailing. There was not a lot of worry time after halftime, but we'll touch on all of that and more in a second. But first, a word from our sponsor on today's podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, even without football here to entertain all of us. There's the NBA, of course, on this podcast. There's college basketball. There's the NHL, in addition to soccer and tennis and auto racing and golf and everything that you could possibly imagine to wager on in the sports world. And on top of that, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, entertainment, and reality TV. There are real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, and the props are some of the best stuff if you are not necessarily into games and uh, handicapping all of that. There's uh, individual points and individual rebounds and assists and all kinds of uh, subplots that you can take advantage of at betonline.ag in the props section. In fact, BetOnline has you covered for all the new scores and the odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website right now or use a mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit 
it with betonline.ag. BetOnline is your online sportsbook experts and use the promo code locked on to get that fantastic 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. One more time, it is promo code locked on for the welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and after halftime, as I said, it was kind of uh, not completely cruise control, but they certainly were in control the entire rest of the way. Um, out of the gate, Capella and Trey Young combined for five straight points to go by 15. And uh, after that, it was a huge dunk by Collins off a pass from her. That was definitely a highlight-worthy play from there. It got trimmed, trimmed down all to nine at one point early in the third after a three-point play by Rashawn Holmes, but then the Hawks had their had their second biggest run of the game at that point. It was a 12-2 run. Featuring back-to-back threes by Trey Young, who was masterful in the third quarter. And then Gallinari got Halliburton in a switch and scored over him. Uh, Trey hit another three moments later to go up by 23 points. That was the high-water mark of the second half. Uh, a nice pass, by the way, also from Gallinari momentarily after that to a cutting a Kongwu for a dunk. The Hawks led by 17 points at the end of the third quarter after a 37-point explosion in that period. Trey had 17 on his own, including four threes in the third. And the Hawks shot the ball very, very well. 14-23 from the floor, 5-9 of nine from three. In fact, in the middle two quarters in which the Hawks scored a billion points, and by the way, a billion means 70, 76 points in those two quarters, they shot almost 6% from the floor and hit 10 threes. So that was telling. You know, they made, they made their big run there. And the Kings, you know, the resistance, the resistance was not very high from the Kings' defense. But the Hawks did play well defensively there was the there was one hiccup in the middle defensively in which they called timeout pretty quickly but other than that it was a pretty dominant run on the way to a 37 to 30 period so again in the, in the middle two quarters the Hawks won 76 to 48 which is the story of the game quite frankly so there you go uh, in the fourth a little bit of back and forth um, in that 12 to 15 point range for the most part at the outset um, there was a mild-ish threat when Fox had a three with about eight minutes to go getting it down to 12. Then the Hawks had a shot clock violation. They brought the Stars back in the game at that point in time. I will say now, uh, this is more of a fun thing. Uh, it was not hugely relevant to the game itself, but Tony Snell was the, the biggest story of the fourth quarter, at least on this podcast. Snell got fouled with six minutes and 23 seconds left in the fourth quarter. It was challenged by Luke Walton, but unsuccessful. And I, the reason why I'm saying this now is because Tony Snell, as I've said a, a couple of times on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, was the NBA record holder, not just for this season, but that is that is definitely true, but for the, for as far back as I can track this, Tony Snell played 471 minutes this season before attempting a single free throw. That is a mind-blowing number, but it happened. That includes tonight. But he got fouled and went to the line in the fourth quarter this evening. He had not taken a free throw in more than a calendar year, and he still has not missed a free throw in more than two years, <laughs> which is just an outrageous uh, stat. Last year, as I said before on this podcast once, at least, uh, he was 32 of 32 last year at 3 3 one So uh, yeah, very, very strange, but he made both in his trip. Uh, there was celebration across the land on that one, and they were kind of important. I mean, it wasn't like it was make or break, but the Hawks went from up 12 to up 14. They did matter, stabilized a little bit there, but uh, shots to Tony Snell, who's been very good this season, just full stop. But uh, that was a storyline that I was following intently. I know Kevin Shinar was as well. A few of us were tracking that um, with vigor. And uh, that is now over because Tony got to the line and made it. So uh, RIP to the streak. But uh, he earned it. And uh, that was a fun sort of subplot of the fourth quarter. 
the other thing that happened that was kind of weird in the fourth was that they, uh, the Kings tried to do the, to do the hack a capella with uh, fouling Clay Capella off the ball three straight times, actually. The first two times, he made he made one out of two, and then he missed both the third time, and then he got pulled from the game from McMillan. Uh, McMillan said after the game, he was asked about this, and kind of said they, they wanted to have Clint have a little bit more of a leash because they were winning pretty comfortably. And as long as he splits the free throws, which is what he kind of said, that's totally fine. But then he missed both. And the Hawks were up, so there was no reason to really risk it. They went, they went to Gallinari, and from that point forward, it was pretty pretty much safe. But, you know, I, I've said this before, but Capella isn't bad enough in the large sample to foul him in those spots. Like, he's a mid-50s, high-50s, maybe even 6% free-throw shooter, which is bad, but not bad enough to actually be profitable if you foul that guy. The one time I could actually see it being defensible is if you're down like the Kings were down 12 in the fourth quarter and you want some variance because there is variance there. Capella misses four in a row, six in a row. Like suddenly you're able to maybe sort of chop the lead down. But in that spot, you know, he shoots two of six. That's not what you want. Obviously that's pretty bad offense overall, but um, it didn't didn't kill them. They got, they got him off the court. And I think that was all appropriate on both sides with regard to that. Um, From there though, a couple of stops after he was taken off the floor Young hits Collins for a dunk, and that was kind of the dagger. Put the Hawks back up by 14 with about three minutes to go, and uh, no more fireworks after that. In fact, the Hawks were able to, able to clear the bench for the final you know minute and a half or so on the way to a 15-point win. So, obviously, anytime you win a game by 15 points in the NBA, it's a, a nice feeling. Um, it was, it was There was some weird stuff, though. Some weird stats to hit on that we'll touch on here in a second. Um, you know, the Kings are not very good, but, you know, they're still talented. Like De'Aaron Fox had 32 points in this game. Rashawn Holmes had 20 and 12. They have some guys. Um, defensively, it was quite a mess from Sacramento. But I'll say, broadly speaking, a couple of bad numbers the Hawks had in this game that normally would kind of cost you. It didn't end up mattering because of the rest of the game. But the Hawks gave up 66 points in the paint to the Kings. Uh, that is very, very bad. Uh, and a lot of that was early when the Hawks were, you know, again, even Capella and Collins were just not ready to play defensively. I, think, I I thought coming out of the gate, it was pretty bad. Um, but for the full game, that's a lot of points in the paint to be giving up, especially when you're winning. Um, that's not usually a good stat. And the other thing from there is that the Kings had 22 offensive rebounds. And while they were better in the second half than the first half, the Kings had, a, sorry, the Hawks allowed the Kings to have a 41% offensive rebound rate, um, which is like very, very, very bad defensive rebounding from Atlanta. Now, Capella was all over the place, and Gallinari had seven defensive rebounds as well. But just in general, it was not a good rebounding night for the Hawks. If I just, uh, you know, coming into the game, if you only knew that they were going to allow that many points on uh, in the paint and that many offensive rebounds, the Hawks would have been in some trouble. But the Kings shot seven of 36 from three. That is something that definitely helped them to balance out because if they had shot the ball pretty well, it might have got interesting, but they didn't in this game, and the Hawks actually did, which is very helpful. And, of course, the Kings are so bad defensively that they just could not get stops. In fact, the Hawks ended up scoring about 1.3 points per possession, which is, of course, like uber elite. Uh, the Kings actually scored at a pretty pretty high level in this game. Even with their bad three-point shooting, Sacramento had, Sacramento had about a 115 offensive rating, which is not like disaster defense, but not good. Um... So they needed to, the Hawks needed to score at a high level. They just happened to do that because A, they play pretty well, and B, the Kings are the Kings. So that kind of t- sort of t- paints the entire picture, but the Hawks did a good job protecting the ball in this game. Only nine turnovers. That's a very, very good number for this Hawks team. They shot the ball well, 51, 51% from the floor, 
36% from three. They actually missed 10 free throws, but six of those were Capella. So, uh, you know, the rest of the team shot the ball pretty well from the free throw line. And only 21 assists, which is a little bit fewer than you would like. But the Kings just didn't, you know, they, they didn't have to go uh, crazy ball movement in this game in order to have success. Um, yeah, so, you know, a lot of positives offensively. We'll talk about the individual players in a second, but in general, you can't really ask for too much more than they did offensively. Defensively, like I said, it was not a masterclass. Um, but after the first six, seven minutes, it was a totally reasonable performance defensively from, from Atlanta. So the, the overall numbers don't look great, but, uh, you know, taking into account that the Hawks gave up, you know, about a quarter of the points the Kings scored in the game in the first seven minutes, uh, the rest of the way was totally fine. So... Okay, uh, we'll, we'll touch on more of the individual breakdown stuff in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market, and it has been for a while. In fact, it's the best tasting protein bar ever, if I do say so myself. And Built Bar is amazing. It's low calorie, it's low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and tastes fantastic with 100% chocolate on all of its bars. And now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the absolute best because it's Built Bar Madness here in the month of March. The matchups reset on Monday for voting, but as a look ahead, there are a bunch of fun ones to look at for you guys to weigh in on when you want to. Toffee Almond against Mint Brownie is coming up. Peanut Butter against Coconut Puff. Caramel Brownie against Double Chocolate. My, my personal favorite, Cookies and Cream, already advanced, by the way. That's kind of the way that it should be. But alas, uh, Salty Caramel playing against Cookie Dough Chunk in the future. All kinds of fun ones. And you want to check those out for sure at BillBar.com or at Bar underscore Built on Twitter. Um, I have my personal preferences that I've shared numerous times, but everyone has their own palette. So share your thoughts via the voting. That's the best possible way to weigh in here, and uh, eventually they will crown a champion at BuiltBar.com. Remember also to use the promo code LOCKED15. You get 15% off on your next order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won the matchups and who will become the best tasting protein bar ever. One more time, that is promo code LOCKED15. 15% off on your next order at BuiltBar.com. Okay, and the final segment tonight will be, of course, the individual breakdowns that we always do on the podcast. A little bit of a Saturday night, uh, more breezier episode, but when you get a win and it's late into the evening on a weekend, you can kind of justify that on some level. But uh, the guys, actually, everyone that was active played. Um, Nathan Knight, Bruno Fernando, Brennan Goodwin, and Skylar Mace played the final minute and a half or so. So kind of a kind of a line through those guys. Um the only guy who I would say like struggled in this game overall was Bogdanovich um, in his revenge game against the Kings, his first time against Sacramento in his career. He was 2 of 12 from the floor and 0 of 5 from 3. Um, he played better than that, I will say. He made a, he made an impact as a passer, um, as a ball mover, as a rebounder, uh, had a steal in this game. It was, it was actually plus 13, so it wasn't like he was just terrible. But shooting has been a concern. In fact... Since Bogdanovich returned to the lineup from the injury, he is 7 of 31 from the floor. Um, again, people ask me, and I, I, I'm totally fine to answer it, but uh, my stock answer still applies here on Bogdanovich as, as like kind of whether I'm worried about him. The answer is still no. Um, you know, one of those things about Bogdanovich is like, you know, he looks fine physically to me right now, which is important after the long layoff. And I don't worry about his shooting. I think there's not really any doubt based on the sample that we have so far that he is a good shooter. Um, how good is a different question, but um, I, I'm not going to worry about Bogdanovich just because he's not making shots. That's going to come, you'd imagine. Now, you know, it's not foolproof. He could 
just be different now and not make shots. But I think I'm still going to lean on, on the larger baseline with regard to whether to panic yet on him. Uh, it doesn't look great so far, but uh, you know it's still early and he's had the injury. So uh, we'll see where he stabilizes. But I thought he was okay other than the shooting in this game. Solomon Hill had a funny line. He was uh, plus 22, which was the second best figure in the entire game. But he did not score. He only took one shot. He missed it from two-point range. He had an assist. He had two steals and a foul. But that was it. No points. 21 minutes <laughs> over the floor and plus 22. A pretty uh, on-brand line for Solomon Hill, which is kind of a, kind of a funny one. Uh, Akangwu played the fewest minutes of the guys who actually played in the rotation. He played 10 minutes um, because they obviously used Capella a lot. And then Collins played some center as well. I thought Kong was actually pretty good. He had four points, five rebounds. He was minus four. His second stint, they actually got beat up a little bit in. But uh, that first run when he when he played with Rondo, who was cooking, he played very well. And I thought Kongwu looked fine again, looked comfortable. And that's good to see from him. Uh, we'll see how he fares in the back-to-back on Sunday. But I thought he played well in this game. Um, Gallinari was good for the most part, uh, plus 24 game best, 15 points, seven rebounds, um, six, 11 from the floor, three, six from three. Um, I know front of the podcast, Tower Jones has made this point, but, um, I do wonder that with the Hawks playing a much, much, much slower pace right now under McMillan, um, if that helps Gallinari because he's not the, uh, most fleet of foot guy in the world. So maybe he's more comfortable playing a little bit slower. Um, obviously he's been quite good since the change. So I'm not sure if it's just a light coming on for him or what's going on there, but he made a bunch of shots. And uh, I tweeted this during the game, but the Kings kept leaving him open, which is not a good strategy. I know Gallinari has struggled this year, but he had a couple of shots in which he was able to like check his feet and kind of like look around and take his sweet time. And Gallinari is too good of a shooter to be leaving him that wide open. So combination of him being a good shot maker and the Kings kind of break, have some breakdowns, but a good night for Gallinari overall. Um, and then finally Rondo off the bench again, I've been uh, skeptical of Rondo so far this year, but he was very good, especially in the first half of this game. 10 points, 11 re- uh, sorry, 10 points, three rebounds, uh, and an assist, and two turnovers plus, plus eight in 15 minutes, uh, four of nine from the floor, two of five from three. It was kind of funny. Rondo was on his feet, I think the entire game, or if not the entire game, or at least close. Um, you would have sworn if he was not wearing a uniform that he was like maybe even the head coach, but definitely an assistant coach because he was up and chirping and uh, very active on the sideline. Uh, I think he was just engaged because he was playing well in the first half. But regardless, it was a it was a good night for Rondo. Uh, the pro Rondo hive uh, should be pleased after this evening because he flashed a little bit. I know it's been fashionable, you know, including by me, to take shots because he has been so bad this year. But you know, the, there there are going to be some flashes, even dating back to when I was just talking to people, you know, from from the Lakers over the offseason, like Harrison Vick was on this podcast, and he even said, like, you know, every 5, 10, 15 games, Rondo will have one of these in the regular season even, and he had one tonight where he was just like, especially in the first half, he was just lights out. So he was a big reason why they made that run and that ended up being kind of decisive. So shouts to Rondo for that. All right, the starters in this game, um, Snell and Herter were pretty quiet. Other than the Snell free throw extravaganza, he was uh, three or three from the floor, actually. Didn't ha- did not take a three in this guy in this game. Then have eight points, three rebounds, and an assist. Relatively quiet overall, except for the free, except for the free throws. Uh, Kevin Herter, same thing, eight points. Did have six assists. Good ball movement from him. Had two steals. Uh, made two threes, but only, only only took seven shots. He was fine. Wasn't like a great or a bad night for Kevin Herter. And then uh, John Collins was not fantastic. He got better. He struggled early. I think he was over his first four, and then finished four or five from there. 
but misses only two three-point attempts. Got to the line 10 times, though. That's encouraging. 16 points, five rebounds. Had four fouls, had some foul issues in the second half. Was plus seven, though. The best, uh, at least the tie for the best in the starters with Trey Young. So I thought he was fine. And then Capella and Young were the two guys who stood out statistically in this game. Capella had 24 and 14 in 27 minutes. A lot of that damage, you know, 18 and seven at the half. So that was most of what he had. Most of what happened was in that second quarter run, and he was really finishing a ton. I don't have the full numbers here. He had at least four dunks, if not more than four. It might have been five or six, and uh, that's very helpful, of course. And even the guy, I, I'm fairly sure that at least one of the shots he missed, he got his own rebound. So uh, there was not a lot of inefficiency in Clint's performance offensively. Uh, he finishes a lot, just catches and finishes. That's all he needs to do. And then defensively, after the first five minutes, he woke up and was quite good from that point forward. Um, Trey Young, 28 points, nine assists, four four turnovers, was plus seven, had a rebound, had a steal as well. Uh, nine of 17 from the floor, five of 10 from three. You love to see both the attempts and the makes on that. Got to the line seven times, only, only made five. That's not like a disaster. I thought Trey was good. Um, you know, defensively, he struggled with Fox, especially in the first half, but he settled in a little bit. It's a tough matchup for anybody to his credit. You know, if they had Reddish or Chris Dunn or one of those guys, maybe you don't have Trey try to guard De'Aaron Fox, but, uh, given the matchup, they kind of had to do that. I thought, and he did it. He did. Okay. And it was like, he was good on that in the matchup, but you can't expect him to dominate defensively against De'Aaron Fox. So I thought Trey was good in this game, especially when he took over in the third quarter to kind of make sure that the Sacramento didn't have a run in them. That was a, um, a sort of a star level thing that you would be able to do when it might have been teetering just a tad bit. He made a bunch of uh, at least two or three deep threes that kind of stopped the bleeding there when it was wavering just a touch in the third quarter. So again, overall, a nice win for Atlanta. Um, four in a row here for the first time in a long time, you know, almost four, almost four calendar year. That's a long time. Uh, and yeah, that will look to make it five in a row on Sunday against the Cavaliers. Uh, one note here, the Cavs have actually had the Hawks number. You know, Cleveland has been very bad this season. So on paper, you might think, yeah, the Cavs are coming in. That's a very, very good spot. And it is on some level. The Cavs are dead last, by the way, in offense this season on a per-possession basis. So they are um, not good. And they're 14-23. They've lost two in a row. Um, they're down near the bottom of the league in net rating. Well, that's a pretty bad basketball team right now. On the flip side, the Cavs had the rest advantage. They did not. They did not play on Saturday, and now they were not good on Friday, which matters. But they had the day off, so they have a little bit of a freshness edge against the Hawks. And the Cavs have been good against the Hawks recently. They've won four in a row against the Hawks. Two this year. You know, famously there was the game in February that the Hawks gave up in a pretty maddening fashion just a couple weeks ago. Um, but before that, they lost to the Cavs. They've lost again four in a row, and. Uh, Maybe they'll have some revenge on their minds in this game. I know a couple of guys that spoke spoke post game talked about how they had to sort of get up for that one on Sunday. But a, you know, a turnaround. They lose the hour of sleep with daylight savings time. Uh, just an interesting spot to kind of circle, and we'll see if the Hawks can respond to have their fifth one in a row. But right now, at this very moment that I am recording this podcast, the Hawks have the second longest winning streak in the league. Um, a couple of teams have five winning streaks, and the Hawks are at four. So um, with the win again, right now as I record this on Saturday night, the Hawks are in sole possession of eighth in the Eastern Conference and only a game and a half out of fifth, two games out of fourth. And as I said a lot during the All-Star break, you know, there's a lot of fluidity here, both positively and negatively. And for right now, it's the positive side because the Hawks are playing so well. But when all the teams are bunched up, 
there is some movement to be had. So they got to bank some wins. Um, and winning against a team like Sacramento that you're supposed to beat is a very positive thing for Atlanta. So I will get out of here now on this fine Saturday. We will have another podcast on Sunday night after the game. Heading into Monday, I have a guest scheduled for Monday into Tuesday. Lots of stuff going on in the podcast. Please subscribe to the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends as well. Rate and review. And we'll see you after the game on Sunday.